Welcome to Garden Success with Skip Richter, the show designed to help you have a bountiful garden and a beautiful landscape. Call in now with your lawn and garden questions at 979-845-5689 or email your questions to gardensuccess at tamu.edu. And now, Texas A&M AgriLife Extension horticulturist, Skip Richter. Well, good morning, or actually good noon. I, let me just say good noon. It, it feels weird for 12.01 or something to be afternoon. <laughs> we, had a, we had a discussion uh, with someone the other day who was having a hard time knowing what was 12 a.m. and 12 p.m., and I agree, and I know why they're, I know why 12 noon is 12 p.m., but... It just makes sense, doesn't it? If 10 is a.m., 11 is a.m., why isn't 12 a.m. and 1 p.m.? Eh, well, you know, just so it's a little more confusing. Well, uh, you're listening to Garden Success, and we're looking forward to visiting with you about whatever is of interest to you today about gardening. Uh, we uh, Let's see, let me give you a phone number and an email if you'd like to contact us that way, 979 845 5689-979-845-5689. Or if you'd like to email, uh, Garden Success. Simple as that. Garden Success at T-A-M-U dot E-D-U. Garden Success at T-A-M-U dot E-D-U. Let's go. Why don't we just jump right to the phones today, and we're going to talk to Syed. Hello, Syed. How are you? I'm well. You, I'm doing good. What's up? Good to talk to you always. Yes. Uh, a couple of questions. One is about uh, the pruning of uh, roses, whether it is the time to do it or we should wait longer, and whether uh, we should fertilize some of these uh, you know, ornamental plants uh, at this time or uh, not do it. Uh, any, any suggestions on this, please? Yeah, sure. Uh, I don't know that it would be bad to prune your roses now, but I wouldn't. Uh, we we typically will prune them at the end of summer to get some late summer, early fall growth so that when October comes, that growth has matured to the point of blooming really well. Uh, we're already, you know, past that now. And so I would not prune them now because they're probably going to try to regrow. We're going to have temperatures back up in the upper 80s, hopefully not too much in the 90s. But uh, we're going to have those temperatures uh, coming going forward, and we don't want the roses to try to grow at this point in time when a good hard freeze could be showing up, uh, you know, in the near future. Not not real near, but you know what I'm talking about. I would wait until February to do the rose pruning. And as far as fertilizing, same thing. I would wait until late winter, maybe early spring, to do any kind of fertilizing of trees and shrubs and other things. Okay, I, I got it. Yeah. And that, that question uh, escaped that uh, uh, we are really bothered by these weeds. And, and uh, I spend a whole lot of time trying to take care of it, but I am unable to control the weeds. Anything that we can do now so that the weeds don't come up when the winter, when the winter is over and, mm-hmm. and the spring starts. Uh, where... Sayed, where are the weeds coming up? Are they in your lawn or your vegetable garden? No, but this, this is in the, in, the, in the flower beds. The flower beds, okay. Yeah. You yeah. know, the best thing you can do for weeds is mulch. And if you keep uh, at least two inches, maybe three inches, depending on how chunky the mulch is, uh, of mulch on the ground and sunlight cannot reach the soil, that prevents the annual weeds from coming up, which is the majority of your weeds. Now, things like uh, Bermuda grass, it's a perennial weed, that you're yes. just going to have to spray. I see. 
Yeah. I said, no, I, I got it. You know, so it's just, uh, you know, uh, these weeds have been a perennial problem for us, actually. Yes, yes, so, I understand. Yeah, that... I, that's it. Yeah. So, you know, as you, I, I, again, I would, you know, knock them down however you want, just scrape over them with a hoe or whatever, uh, and then put a good mulch over them. If you happen to have any newspaper laying around, you can put newspaper over those bed areas with weeds and then throw mulch on top of that, and it will block it out. It takes about four to six sheets of newspaper. So um, for, the, for the pruning uh, process, should we wait uh, for all the other uh, ornamental plants and I was talking about the roses in particular, but it applies to all other plants? Uh, yeah, in general, we don't want to stimulate growth. And like for your fruit trees, fall pruning, I know with peaches, fall pruning has been shown to cause an earlier bloom uh, on the peach trees. And we definitely don't want peaches blooming too early because we already have enough danger of late frosts. And so uh, I would avoid that. Now, on the <coughs> everything woody you can prune at the end of win in winter or toward the end of winter except things that only bloom in the spring. And we don't have a lot of those here in Bryan College Station. Things like uh, azaleas, for example, don't aren't commonly grown here. Uh, those are, a lot of azaleas are spring bloomers. Spirea or bridal's wreath also grows here. Flowering quince is another spring only bloomer. And in the roses, uh, there are roses that just bloom in spring and then never again. And typically, the majority of those are going to be climbing roses, uh, like Lady Banks. And so if you prune, let's say, a Lady Banks rose at the end of winter, well, you've cut off all, all the blooms on everything you, you cut away. Sure. Thank you, Chip. Thank you so much. Always uh, very helpful. I appreciate it. And you have a wonderful day. And thanks a lot. Thank you, Syed. I appreciate that. Thank you very much. Let's head back to the phones now, the number 979-845-5689. We're going to talk to Tim. Hello, Tim. Hi, Skip. How are you? I'm good. What's up? Uh, I've got a question about uh, a stand of privet. Okay. Um, I, uh, last weekend, uh, I cut it back, and um, this weekend I'm going to go back to it and cut the stumps as close to the ground as I can and paint them with a... Uh, uh, triclopyr solution. Yes. Try to get rid of it for good. Yes. Um, mm -hmm. So my question concerns the the leaf litter that I discovered under this um, uh, X stand of privet, uh, which is actually quite rich with um, oak leaves and uh, and mm -hmm. a lot of other stuff. Yeah. I'd like to use I'd like to use it for mulch, uh, but my concern is that it's going to be contaminated with privet litter. And uh, I'm wondering whether if I use it for mulch somewhere else in my yard, whether I'm just going to be spreading that privet. Well, privet has the little uh, bluish-black seed clusters, berry clusters, and you wouldn't want to pick those up. But I would think getting the mulch up in general, those are going to tend to kind of fall out of it. And if one of them sprouted, it would be a little seedling, and be, you could just grab it and pull it up before it gets very big. Uh, <clears throat> but I, I would... You know, leaf litter is always good to have. You can also get it from your neighbors at curbside here in about a month and a half. <laughs> uh, and so, so there's other ways to get a hold of some. Uh, but yeah, I would I wouldn't worry a lot. But you're on the right track with the triclopyr and the privet. <clears throat> good, good. Okay, yeah. we won't worry about it then. Yeah. I, 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 can I ask you one more question? Sure. We, we've got um, so uh, the the previous owner of the house we live in um, laid down uh, a large irrigation system. It hasn't been in operation for a very long time, and uh, there's there's no map. <laughs> we don't know where uh, these pipes yeah. are. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, but what we have are a lot of little sprinkler heads and um, empty valve boxes that we want to get rid of. They're, you know, they're a, a hazard. And um, if I just go and dig them up and and disconnect them, I mean, dis- I mean, cut 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 the connections really with mm-hmm. you know with a, a sawzall or something. Will, will that be causing any problems? As far as leaving the other PVC in the ground, is that your question? Yeah. No, yeah. not really. I mean, you know. It, Whenever you dig in the future somewhere, you may run into one. But uh, mm-hmm. when you when you dig up a head or a box, you can notice which way the PVC line takes off from there, and that they generally, right. you know, run short uh, or run straight lines. The not always, but uh, they generally run straight lines. So you can kind of figure out where they're going. But yeah, if you if you're just wanting to get rid of the system. Uh, yeah, you could just leave the old PVC in the ground. You don't have to go pull it up. Okay. Okay. Thank right. you very much. That's good news. Good right. l- yeah, good luck. Good luck with right, it, Dan. Thanks. Hey, thank you for the call. Have I a pre- good day. Yes, sir, you as well. Uh, our phone number is 979-845-5689. Or if you'd like to reach me by email, you can do that at gardensuccess at tamu, T-A-M-U dot E-D-U. Uh, we'll go back to the phones again here, and we're going to talk to Brooks. Hello, Brooks. Hello. How can we help today? Since late September, my crepe myrtle has been putting out new leaves. Is that good or bad? Well, it's n- it's not good. Uh, September, the late summer when they defoliated, was earlier than they should defoliate, but, but the heat and drought uh, did that. Uh, and when plants defoliate like that, they will often then go and bloom when they shouldn't be blooming yet. And so it, it this was just this was just a response like that. And uh, you know you can't control it. You just leave it. Uh, we'd rather n- that the plant didn't put the, all that carbohydrate energy into making more blooms in October. But it it is what it is, and there's no tr- fixing it, and it's not the end of the world. <laughs> Okay. All righty. Well, thank you. Yeah. Thank you for the call. Appreciate that. You're welcome. You take care. Yeah, that that phenomenon happens. It happens a lot with pears. Uh, In fact, I had have an email from uh, Jenny, and uh, their Bradford pear lost all its leaves, and some of the bark looks split, and now it's starting blooming. And what do you do? Well, Actually, a drought-induced dormancy that that this summer did to a lot of our plants by the end, uh, that is often followed by the blooming that should be happening in spring. Uh, it's I don't know if it's fair to compare it to you know it goes through winter dormancy and then it blooms in spring, or or not. But that that essentially is kind of the pattern of what's happening is is these go dormant and they got bloom buds that are ready to go and they take off and bloom. And so, uh, you know, we don't want it to happen because it does use carbohydrates. And pears are, I think, about the worst about doing that. Uh, you see the ornamental pears, Bradford pears, and things that can do that. Now, then the big negative of it is, well, now those branches aren't going to bloom in spring. They had bloom buds. They used them. And there's no more bloom buds on that branch that, unless some just didn't open up initially. But it's the way it is. We can just kind of live with it and, and go go on. Um, 
these stresses that we've gone through on our plants, it's, it's been unusual. A lot of weird things going on. Uh, Jenny mentions some of the bark looks split. And I've had several questions this week at the AgriLife Extension Office about bark looking different on young trees especially. And <clears throat> most of them, uh, it, here's what's going on. You, you buy a young tree. Maybe you buy an oak tree. When you buy a little oak tree and maybe the trunk is only, oh, I don't know, inch or two in diameter at the most, uh, and it's very smooth and very thin. And as it gets older, it begins to develop as, as it's pushing out the bark from the cambium layer that's forming uh, the bark tissues and in the inner wood. Uh, as it grows bigger and bigger, it's pushing all that old dead bark out, and you start to get that fissured pattern that's typical of whatever species of tree you have. And people notice those splits, and it all that means is that it's just getting older, and it, it's going from being a very thin bark tree to, you know, like on an oak tree, for example, uh, or even an older Bradford pear, uh, a much thicker bark tissue. Something else that I'd like to say about that is that in the winter time, when the sun travels low in the sky, which it does, uh, and we have mild winter weather, let's say we have days that are in the mid to upper 70s uh, or so, uh, that end of the day sun shining on the trunk warms up the trunk tissues, and they, uh, let's just say the sap begins to flow. Instead of being dormant, because the tree went dormant, it hardened off and went dormant where it could take whatever winter we have here just about, well, instead of that, when you get these tissues warming up, now they're not as cold hardy. They're not fully fully uh, hardened off. And then that night, here comes the blue norther and the temperature drops down in the mid to upper teens, and suddenly you've got severe damage to that area. And later you see the bark splitting, pulling back, and you can see the inner, inner wood of the tree. Uh, the bark sits on the outside of the inner wood. Uh, and you see those splits, and that is called, we call that southwest injury because it's usually on the southwest side, sometimes a little more south, uh, but it's, it's that sun, low in the sky, perpendicular or shining right up against that trunk and getting the most warming effect that it can. And uh, that's what happens. And so uh, talking about this, you know, uh, Bradford pear and, and some of the other trees we've, that I've been called about this week or emailed about, uh, we can do something to prevent that. And when your tree is young, it doesn't hurt anything. Go ahead and put a tree wrap around it, a paper tree wrap. Just, just wrap it around the trunk. It kind of spirals up, and it provides a little bit of a break. It, that paper is like a shade to keep that sunshine off the trunk, uh, and it, it helps a little bit uh, to do that. There are other kinds of tree wraps and things that people do, but just watch them and be ready to take them off. Uh, it's primarily, this is primarily a winter thing. It's not like we need tree wrap on the tree all year, uh, but that, that sunburn that or that uh, sun activation and then freeze damage is something that we want to avoid. And it, it's so easy to avoid. I think I mentioned on the show before I was visiting one of my daughters out in Atlanta, Georgia, and uh, walking around this wonderful little walkway that went all the way around town. They've got a huge, I don't know how many miles that thing is, uh, concrete walkway. And in doing so, I noticed that every little tree, and again, they were all golf ball size or smaller in trunk diameter, everyone just had a split on it on the southwest side because they were young, they had thin bark, and it was very easy for that damage to occur. 
Word to the Wise. Our phone number is 979-845-5689, 845-5689, or by email at gardensuccess at tamu.edu, tamu.edu. We're going to go to the phones now and talk to Kathleen. Hello, Kathleen. Hi. Uh, I'm in College Station trying to grow asters. Okay. I have um, some that are coming up from previous years, which are close to two feet tall. They're already blooming. And I wanted to supplement those by purchasing more from a nursery. Okay. I get frustrated that these wholesale nurseries, (laughs) to me, mutilate mums and asters into round balls. But anyway, um, the two I bought, of course, have been sheared into small round balls. Um, So I'm in a dither whether I should hopefully let them grow out taller so they blend Uh in, or should I keep pruning, pruning the blooms to keep them blooming? At this stage, don't prune because they're not going to have time to reset buds and bloom again this year. So wait until next year and do whatever periodic trimming you want to do to maintain whatever shape you want them to be uh, and stop doing that by uh, early August so that they can go ahead and and, uh, put out new shoots and set buds on them for the fall bloom. Okay, well, disappointment because I'm sure the wholesale nurseries give some kind of blooming boost before they send them off retail because these were in full bloom when I bought them. They All those blooms have yeah. now turned crisp and brown and they're gone. Okay, now we're talking about mums or are we talking about asters here? Asters. Okay. Hmm. But the aster has been trimmed into a round ball. Yeah like is done with mums. Well, in, in a lot of plants, you know, we, we have more of a florist version that is something you put out there to look pretty well and then it's done, like cut flowers would be, for example. Uh, but, and there can be, this is true with a lot of our mums. And when you try to put them in the yard and have them as a perennial year after year, they just don't perform as well. Uh, we do have asters, for example, that bloom very well. There's one um, that is called the fall aster or autumn aster, and it is it is a native. I believe it's Texas native. It, it would be the southwest part of the state. But you see those around town. They have a pretty little bluish purple bloom, uh, mm-hmm. and they just bloom and bloom. And you can shear them however you want, or you can not shear them and just let them kind of flop. They tend to kind of spread outward rather than coming so high upward, but they are dependable bloomers every year. And that's a very good, that's a very good aster. uh, That's what I have from previous years. Okay. And I don't know how many years I've had them, four or five. Mm -hmm. And they took some kind of a hit last year, or maybe it was just the hot summer. But a few of them have come back. They're already in bloom. I was hoping to supplement them. But apparently I've got the wrong kind here. Where can I find the what you're calling garden-type aster? Uh, you can check around some of our local places. I know Farm Patch from time to time will have some of those, uh, more of the native kind of aster. Uh, I think uh, Antique Rose Emporium, I believe, carries that native aster too. Uh, and I just have to... I'd probably have to myself go around um, knocking on some nursery uh-huh. doors to see who has what. Uh, you probably have to drive a little further beyond those two, I think. 
to find that particular aster that you're looking for. There, there are a lot of different kinds of fall blooming plants, and and there are some other asters too that are much more rangy and just they're they're not mannered well at all. Uh, but for the right setting, they can be beautiful. And do they want sun in the fall? Yes. Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. They do. All right. Appreciate the advice. All right, Kathleen. Good luck with that. Thank you for the call. Appreciate that. Uh, I had a, a question come in. Uh, I've had this question a lot this week uh, and last week, too. Uh, this is from Susan, and it is um, uh, spotted spurge. There are several types of spurge. One of them is spotted because it has little spots on the leaves. And I'm trying to think of the name of the other one. Anyway, it doesn't matter. They're all the same kind of plant. They grow low to the ground. They spread out. They come out of a single point, a taproot, and then it goes in all directions when it hits, when it begins to grow. Uh, they produce seed in huge amounts. And once it warms up next spring, those seeds are going to be popping up and growing everywhere. Uh, it is one of the weeds that is a little bit problematic to get rid of. Spraying it, especially at this time of year, is not going to be very helpful at all. I, I probably wouldn't even bother spraying it. Uh, if you're, if it's in an area where you can pull it or with a, a good sharp hoe, just slice just barely under the ground. Because, again, you may have this something the size of a, your computer laptop on top of the ground that's spreading out, but it's got one little spot where it's coming out, and you can just reach under there and sever that taproot and get it out of there. Jostle it as little as you can to try not to shake any more seeds loose, and then keep the soil mulched. Mulch will prevent this um, annual warm season weed from uh, being able to come back and be established. The seeds will be there, but without sunlight, they're just not going to make it. And so you have to maintain a mulch, too. You know, you can mulch once and it all looks pretty, but over the course of time, that mulch starts to decompose away. And now you got sunlight hitting the soil, and now you got more weed problems. And so that's probably the best way to deal with it. There are broadleaf weed control sprays, but the problem with them is that a lot of times this is in a vegetable garden or this is in a flower bed, and those products can really damage your vegetables and flowers. There are also some pre-emergent products that will prevent them from coming up. And depending on where they're growing, uh, one product or another may be labeled. So, for example, something labeled to use in a flower bed may well not be labeled to use in a vegetable garden or vice versa. And so you just have to read the label on those. But with those little annual weeds, I just think mulch is, is number one. So instead of having 10 billion weeds, you got 10 to deal with. And, and uh, just stay on top of it. Try to prevent them from uh, developing seeds as well. You know, we're talking about to Kathleen about asters. And there is a aster weed. Uh, there, there are different versions of it. They're not all identical, but uh, you'll see a name like roadside aster or slender aster that may be associated with this weed. I think slender aster may be the preferred name, according to our turf specialist here, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, but uh, it comes up, and you don't really notice it. The leaves are a little larger than they are now. When it comes up, they're larger. And in a vacant lot, it'll grow up waist high or more. I mean, it makes this big, sprawling weed. In your yard, when you mow it, it says no problem, and it just goes horizontal and just weaves its way through the grass, and you can have very large, large plants. Uh, when people tend to notice it is two times. One, if your lawn dies back from drought, uh, you've got that 
tan-colored dying lawn, and then you've got these deep blue-green weeds that show up like neon signs, uh, because they are quite drought-tolerant uh, compared to your, your St. Augustine grass. And uh, they show up then. The other time people notice it when it starts blooming. And I noticed uh, just this past week the first blooms I've seen on that slender aster in people's yards. And so it'll be blooming a lot. Now, every bloom is going to have a bunch of seeds, several dozen seeds. And one plant can have 100 blooms or more. And so you, you want to make sure at this stage you're not going to spray it effectively. So what, what you're going to want to do is get out there on your hands and knees and make sure the soil's moist first and it pulls up fairly easily. Uh, you may need to use a long weeding fork to get it up, but just remember every time you pull one up, I pulled one up one year, I think I've told you this on the air, I pulled one up one year and I counted the seeds in one bloom and it was about 50. And then I counted the blooms and it was almost 100. <laughs> 50 times 100, 5,000 seeds that I got rid of by pulling up one plant. So it's worth your time to get out there and get it out of there. Uh, and in the meantime, you want to build a dense lawn. The denser your lawn is, the fewer weed problems you're going to have. The group of weeds that can be controlled by a dense lawn is the vast majority of all weeds. They're annual weeds. They come up from seed, even perennials coming up from seed. When the sunlight is not allowed to hit the soil, those weeds, if they try to germinate, they're just not going to establish, and that works works very well. Now, there are a few weeds that coexist in our lawns. Uh, it's the smaller group, way, way less, probably less than, I don't know, fourth, a fourth of the weeds or less are going to be the kind that coexist in a good, dense, healthy lawn, and that would be things like Virginia buttonweed or dollarweed or dichondra and a few others. Uh, but anyway, th those are the ones that we can deal with. Uh, but that's the, uh, think of them as the exception to the rule. The rule is build a dense, healthy lawn and you have much less weed problems. And how do we do that? We do that by mowing, watering, and fertilizing properly. Uh, when you mow regularly on a frequent basis, you decide how frequent you can mow. Uh, but when you do that, at least weekly, then you create a denser lawn that shades the ground even better. When you water adequately to keep the lawn healthy but not overwater or underwater, that also creates density. And when you fertilize with products, especially products with a little extra nitrogen in them, uh, that helps stimulate growth and it fills in faster and it gets denser as a result of that. Don't overdo the fertilizer either because excessive nitrogen, number one, it, it environmentally washing off the lawn into uh, water supplies, uh, rivers and streams and in some parts of the state aquifers, uh, entering into aquifers, that, that's not a good thing to have that nitrogen in there. But it also isn't good to have too much because your grass tends to get succulent. If you want to see the worst brown patch or now called large patch that you can see, just start in late September fertilizing your lawn a lot with nitrogen and watering it all the time, keeping it wet, mow it really low as if you think you're going to make a golf course green out of St. Augustine. <laughs> and uh, all of those things are going to really create a problem uh, toward the brown patch. You predispose the lawn toward that. So, you know, that what, what is the phrase? Moderation in all things? Uh, that, that really holds true with a lot in life. And it certainly holds true with the things we do to our lawn. Too much of a good thing's a bad thing. That's another way to put it. So, 
if you've got a area, and I run into this a lot, uh, my lawn won't grow, it's a little too shady, and the lawn is thin, and I want it to be thicker. So they water more and fertilize more in there, because that's going to make it grow more. No, it, sunlight is what's going to make it grow more. And if you lack sunlight, all the nitrogen and water in the world is not going to make up for sunlight. And so you either trim up the trees, get some more light in there, or um, switch over to a more shade-loving ground cover for that area. And uh, But that's, that's where people get off track. Uh, we start to get too much of a good thing, and we end up creating a problem, you know, for that lawn. I think Becky uh, had a question about uh, that uh, last week, uh, that, that fall aster, by the way, that, that we were dealing with. Uh, and let's see, uh, also Karen, i just watching an email pop up here. Um, the uh, Karen is pointing out, or excuse me, uh, it's not Karen, Joan, uh, Joni, I believe it's Joni, excuse me if I'm saying your name wrong, uh, talks about the another alternative, and that's the butterflies. Love the little asters at this time of the year. And you know that's true. There's a trade-off, and everyone listening, you're going to be somewhere on this spectrum. Uh, just let things grow wild, and let's take care of our pollinators and butterflies and all kinds of things. Or other people are, no, I want it perfect. I don't want one weed anywhere in sight. You know, And that's a long, wide spectrum, okay? If you're, most people lean a little toward the, I don't want weeds all in my lawn, end of that, or half of that. Uh, but if you're really into supporting butterflies and pollinators, the, yeah, little flowers like that do. I was uh, sitting down in a lawn doing some other things, uh, some other grass or weed thing. I can't even remember now what I was doing. But I noticed the chickweed, which is a winter weed that blooms in the spring a lot, uh, it was covered with honeybees, little honeybees down in the, St. Augustine grass on those chickweed blossoms and very attractive to them. Uh, and so I'm not going to talk you into one or the other end of the spectrum. I know that. Uh, but just realize that even the roadside weeds that we have, uh, they do have a environmental purpose, or at least uh, within the, the balance of, of all the things that are crawling and flying around out there uh, in the landscape. Thanks for that, that uh, email, by the way, and that reminder. Uh, let's see, uh, we, this weekend, uh, the 21st of October, uh, the folks out at the uh, Twin Oak Landfill, Twin Oaks Landfill, are having their household hazardous waste collection. Now, uh, you cannot take medicines out there. You, can't, you don't want to flush that down the toilet, and you don't, in this case, they're, they're not set to handle uh, medicines. But uh, if you have, um, like, household chemicals, ammonia and bleach and things you strip the floor with, drain cleaner, all of that kind of stuff. If you have automotive products such as antifreeze, motor oil, oil filters, batteries, uh, things that you polish and wax or clean the upholstery. If you have electronics like CDs, DVDs, computers, laptops, monitors, microwave ovens, fax machines, desktop printers, uh, if you have paint products, oil-based paint, latex paint, spray paint, artist paint, wood preservatives, sealers, and batteries uh, like auto batteries or AA, AAA, CD, and rechargeable batteries, those are all among the, the things that um, uh, can be taken out into this uh, Twin Oak Landfill uh, household hazardous waste recycling. Uh, and this is Saturday this Saturday, October 21st, from 7 a.m. 
to 2 p.m. And it's at the Texas A&M University uh, Services Building, TAMU University Services Building. And that is out there. Trying to look here if they have a thought they had a location address on this. No, it looks like it's out at the landfill. Someone from there, if you happen to be listening, give me a call on this. Uh, Skip, I believe the uh, services complex is over there just past Veterans Park. Past Veterans Park. Okay. I'm, I'm looking here at uh, Highway 60. Yeah, you're, you're right. That is. That is true. So it's on the, as you're going out, uh, let's see, that'd be going out University, and it would be on the right-hand side past Veterans Parkway, somewhere in there. Okay. Well, anyway, the phone number, how about that? Let's do it that way. 979-764-3809. Now, I mentioned things that they would accept, and I mentioned medication is a no. Uh, They don't want your household garbage. They don't want Freon, uh, you know, appliances or anything containing Freon. They don't want old tires. They don't want ammunition or 55-gallon drums. Any kind of medical waste like needles, sharps, things like that, uh, and just general business generated waste. This is this is here for the purpose of getting rid of those things you don't throw away of uh, in the trash. So uh, from a gardening standpoint, yeah, herbicides, insecticides, fungicides. Uh, if you have compact fluorescent lamp bulbs or, or straight fluorescent tubes, we don't need to break those and turn it loose into the atmosphere, uh, but they'll take those there. Thermometers, thermostats, uh, anything flammable they, the, of kerosene, gasoline, solvents and things, swimming pool cleaners, they take all that kind of stuff. Uh, But anyway, you can give them a call if you want to find out more information. 979-764-3832 is the number that they list here. And then on their ad, it's 764-3809. So I think 38, let's go with 3862. uh, And you can find out more. This Saturday, good chance to get rid of that stuff. Go through your garage, go through your house. uh, Make sure and get rid of all of those things. If you go to TwinOaksLandfill.com. TwinOaksLandfill.com. You can see a map as well as a list of the different things that they do and do not uh, accept in this particular uh, pickup. Nikki uh, emailed me a a very interesting question. Never had this one before. Uh, Discovered uh, tomato spotted wilt virus on a pepper plant. Really good pictures of that, by the way. It's a very unusual pattern. Uh, And uh, tomato plants were starting to show signs of distress. And now a Nandina, about 20 feet away, they don't look right. And as I look at them, you're right. It it doesn't look right. But I can't tell for sure what exactly is going on. But tomato spotted wilt is one of the most, uh, what's the word for it? It's not ubiquitous, but it's one of the viruses that is ju- that affects the widest host range of plants. And they have a very, very wide host range of plants uh, that tomato spotted wilt can affect. So I would not eliminate uh, Nandina, but I have not been able to find Nandina on a list of the, of the plants that tomato spotted wilt can attack. Uh, but because the list is so incredibly long, uh, I sure wouldn't uh, wouldn't be surprised. If you wanted to find out for more, more, you could take a sample of that Nandina into the state plant clinic here at Texas A&M on West Campus and have them uh, run an analysis to see if that's what's in it. Now, that comes at a price. 
very expensive equipment that they use there to do that. Uh, but if you needed to know for sure, you could you could go about that. And uh, but I would call them first at the state plant clinic. Uh, and again, it's plant clinic one word dot t a m u dot e d u and just ask them about that. Uh, can they do that analysis? What would it cost? And what kind of plant sample do they need in order to be able to you know, do do a good job of assessing it. Uh, but anytime plants get viruses, I can't think of an exception. There may be one out there, but viruses aren't something we cure in plants. They, they, there's not a spray that you put on them and, and the virus goes away in your backyard plants. Uh, they, once a plant's infected with them, then you just pull the plant up. And they get infected in a number of different ways, depending on the virus. But one common way is insects feed on one plant, and they pick up the virus, and they go feed on another plant. And that virus gets injected or introduced into that other plant. And uh, it's like uh, mosquito and malaria. One person has malaria, a mosquito gets on them, and then it goes over and feeds on somebody else or bites you. Uh, and and, uh, and you get the malaria from the mosquito, uh, a lot of mosquito-borne illnesses like that. So uh, I, I don't really know what else to tell you, Nikki, on this. Uh, it, it looks very strange. I don't know that it's tomato-spotted wilt virus, but it is something very strange. And so uh, I guess wait and watch maybe one option or go to the state plant clinic and have them have them take a look at it and see see what they think is going on. Our phone number is 979-845-5689, 979-845-5689, or if you would like to email, it is gardensuccess at tamu dot edu, gardensuccess at tamu dot edu. Uh, lots of things to be doing in October in our landscapes. Uh, this is the time when we, uh, September and October, when we're planting wildflower seeds in the ground to get a nice beautiful show next spring. Uh, this would also be a time, there are certain garden flowers that are much better planted in the fall than they are in the spring. Uh, and uh, poppies would be an example of that. Sweet peas, Sweet peas are wonderful. A lot of the older types especially are very fragrant and beautiful, uh, grow on a little garden fence. Uh, some of them, nice enough for cut flowers. Uh, let's see, garden poppies, sweet peas, um, what am I forgetting? Uh, blue bonnets would be in the wildflower group. Uh, there is another one that's not occurring to me at this very moment. But anyway, uh, fall's the time to plant all those kinds of things. It's also a, a time to begin planting our woody ornamentals. When we hit mid-October, it's kind of cooling off a little bit all the way through November. Excellent time. You put those woody ornamentals in the ground, they get their roots down in the ground, and they just really uh, have a better chance next summer when it gets so blazing hot and, and, and dry. Uh, we can we can end up with a, a much better chance of survival if you will fall plant your woody ornamentals. By the way, you can fall plant perennials too. Uh, all the perennial flowers, uh, perennial herbs, perennial grasses, all of those are fall planted as well. Uh, our cool season weeds are going to be germinating if they haven't already started uh, in our lawns. And so uh, you want to, if you're going to use a pre-emergent product to prevent weeds, then that needs to be applied and watered in with about a half inch of water to get it down in the soil surface so that it can do its job there to prevent those weeds from coming up. If you wait too long and they're already up and growing, 
then uh, it's too late. It's kind of like playing baseball and swinging after the ball goes over the plate. It's a little too late then to take a swing at it. So uh, just keep that in mind. By the way, that other flower I couldn't think of, the biennial, is larkspur. Larkspur is a good one to plant in the fall season and have it come up and then do its show in the spring. Let's go to the phones now, 979-845-5689, and we're going to talk to Gary. Hello, Gary. Hey, Skip. Uh, i got a question about... Uh, herbicide contamination in the yes. garden. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I about a year ago, I sent you in some uh, pictures of some uh, cowpeas, and I was like, "What's going on with these?" Mm-hmm. It was uh, wrinkled leaves, and you, you said, "You know, check into your where your compost is coming from." Mm-hmm. Sure enough, it was horse manure, and uh, I'm pretty sure that it was being treated with you know some kind of herbicide. Okay, I, I, I now I'm. It's been a while, and it's not my garden, so I don't really have control over what goes into it. I'm I'm pretty sure we've changed things. I'm just wondering, what do I need to look for to uh, for signs of herbicide contamination? Is it only the wrinkled leaves? I mean, is there going to be like an impact on plant size? And well, yeah, it it could be a lot of things depending on the herbicide. Uh, a lot of the ones used on pastures for brush control that are so persistent they go all the way through the cow and are present or horse and are present in the manure. Uh, those last a while. And so just if you had a significant dose of that last year, it could affect this year's garden. But here's what I would do, Gary, to find out. Get you some garden soil. Get some samples from around your garden and maybe put them in four-inch pots. And then get some pinto beans from the pantry, uh, dry pinto beans, stick them in the pot and water them and get them up and growing. Try to put them where they can get as much light as you can give them. Uh, but they don't want to be out in 50-degree weather. Uh, but watch how they grow. And if that uh, herbicide is present, you'll you'll see it with that little simple test uh, that you can do. Uh, and if that's the case, it's a matter of waiting it out uh, because there's not a, a neutralizer for that kind of herbicide damage. Hopefully, that's not the case. I think it's a little bit of a long shot that it's still going to be something there bothering your plants. But that's the way you avoid planting the whole garden and then finding out that it's a problem. Okay. Yeah, sounds good. I'll, I'll definitely try that out. Like I said, it's, I don't, I'm not really in control of what's going into that garden. And so I'm hoping I can at least, like, show, hey, you know, these, these plants are being damaged by something. It's probably yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. herbicides. Okay. Well, All sounds right. good. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm going to try that out then. Thank All you. right, good. Well, hey, thanks for the call. Appreciate that very much. You are listening to Garden Success. I'm your host, Skip Richter, and we're here to answer gardening questions. It's A phone number is easy to remember, 979-845-5689. I say it's easy to remember, but you know what? Every time I sit down, I have to look at it, print it out. I don't know why those numbers don't stick in my head, but they don't. 845-5689. Or by email, gardensuccess at tamu dot edu. Gardensuccess at tamu dot edu. Uh, I had a, g- a good question f- uh, from Lou uh, about some persimmons. And uh, the question is, they have persimmons, they're already turning orange on the tree, and they want to know, you know, can I, can you pick them and eat them now? Uh, got a lot of them. Beautiful trees, by the way. Congratulations. Um, and it says that, yeah, should they harvest them now or wait for a few weeks? Uh, some animals are coming every day to eat them. And so uh, you could you could pick them and let them uh, sit inside and do a little more developing. Uh, persimmons 
come in two general types, or many, many varieties. But there are astringent types and there are non-astringent types. Now, astringency, it just makes your mouth pucker up. It's, a, it's the most unusual uh, thing in the world. It's hard to describe astringency, but boy, when, you, when your mouth does it, you know it. And persimmons, are, are uh, some of them are real bad about that. And they almost have to go through some freezes and some cold nights and to get so, so ripe that they're just like bags of jello or jelly uh, out there on the tree uh, before that astringency goes away. I've had some people tell me they'll freeze them and thaw them and freeze them and thaw them a couple times and that that breaks it down. I need to look into that. I don't know if that's true or not, but uh, anyway. Uh, then there are the non-astringent types of persimmons, and I can't tell from your photo uh, if which type, which variety you have, uh, but it, it kind of, you if, if you know the variety name still from purchasing the trees, you can go online and look it up, find out if it's astringent or not. The non-astringent types can almost be crispy and, and not be astringent. So you can pick them a little earlier without having to wait for them to get soft, fully soft, and you're not going to have that astringency problem. Uh, now, the, the varmints, that's the real problem. We would love to leave these things on the tree longer. Uh, I would try, one other thing you might try, and I now that the varmints have gotten to them, I don't know if this is going to work or not, but they're little bags made out of, uh, they're called organza, organza bags. Think of them as a little fine mesh fabric made into a bag. You can see through it and it has a drawstring on it. And you can buy those online, just go online to some place like Amazon and, and do a search for organza bags. You can buy them four inch by five inch, which would be a good size for your persimmons. Uh, or you could buy something, actually it may need to be a little wider than that. Uh, you can you can buy them online. They're, they're very inexpensive. And people will slip them over fruit and pull the drawstring. You don't have to tie it, just pull it snug. And uh, birds come up and they just don't, they can't peck through there. They, they just tend to leave things alone like tomatoes. I've known a number of people that have used these for fruits. Now, if you've got some raccoon or a possum or something crawling around the tree, they're probably just going to break it off anyway and get into it. Uh, but that would be the only thing in your control to protect them out there on the tree. I would... I would try it and see if it works. I'd be, and by the way, I'd be curious how it works on the particular pests that you have on your persimmons uh, coming in there. But otherwise, you bring them in, you can ripen them uh, a little more inside uh, rather than leaving them on the tree, letting them soften up. And then if they are astringent, do that. Try the freezing coming out overnight, thawing them, freezing overnight, thawing them. See if that works for you too. Uh, and I, I, in the meantime, need to pursue that, make sure that it is true that that works. We're going to go to the phones now, and we're going to talk to Robert. Hello, Robert. Hello. Got a question. Uh, you've probably addressed it several times in the past. Got several kinds of plants, shrubs, and whole trees whose leaves have turned completely brown. Mm -hmm. And uh, in general, I'm going to wait it out and see what happens. Uh, in particular, I have uh, probably a 100-year-old post oak. That's completely brown. Okay. To give me hope, is there anything in the meantime while I'm waiting that I can do for this plant? Nothing I can think of that is in your power. Okay. Just hope. Yeah, just kind of wait and see. Usually when something turns brown, it's not going to, 
it's not going to be okay. It's not going to okay. come back. But uh, there are plants that do turn brown. They drop their leaves and they come back. Uh, cypress trees around town. If you see some cypress that have really been through the brunt of the drought, they may turn brown, drop leaves, bronze, brown leaves dropping, and then they re-sprout again. They're, yeah. they're pretty good about that. Uh, if it was something like a magnolia tree, which we don't have much around here, but an evergreen like that, it's probably a goner. Uh, oh, okay. when it turns brown. Uh, and then something like a post oak, you know, it, it's going to be in between the two. But uh, I tell you, with the with the drought we had, those trees were hanging on as best they could using every drop of water they could possibly take up to try to keep up. And when it hit a point where it's not, the systems start shutting down uh, and everything's collapsing and it basically is just dying and it's not yeah. going to come back. Uh, but we're going to keep our fingers crossed and hope uh, your tree's the exception. That's what I'm going to do. All right. Okay. Well, I had a chinkapin oak, mm -hmm. a good-sized one that dropped all its leaves. It came back, but the old branches didn't leaf out. It uh, yeah. produced new ones. It's kind of a funny-shaped one now, but mm -hmm. it, uh, it's it's back. Yeah, and that's the other factor. Um, you know, do you want to keep, is the tree worth keeping at, at some point? But you'll know that as, as it does or does not leaf yeah. out, and you kind of get an idea for it. Yeah. Okay. That's All right. I need to know. Thank you, sir. Thank you, Robert. I appreciate that call. Uh, our phone number is 979-845-5689, and our uh, email is gardensuccess at tamu.edu, uh, at tamu. Dot edu. And by the way, I answer emails uh, when I'm here uh, during the show on Thursdays from 12 to 1. I'm not able to keep up with all my emails from AgriLife Extension Work and the ones on the show. So I just save the show emails for Thursdays. Uh, so don't uh, wait for a, a typed reply. Uh, but uh, we will talk about them on the air uh, as we as we encounter uh, the ones that you've sent on a Thursday from 12 to noon. Let's go to the phones now and talk to Laura. Hello, Laura. Hi, I'm calling grass seed. Is it for a partially shaded area? Is there a grass seed I could plant right now? Um, for temporary overseeding uh, in the cool season, you can put a blend of annual and perennial ryegrass seeds out now. Uh, kind of scratch them in and water them in well, and they, they, will do, they will do pretty good. They like full sun, but they will take a little bit of shade, uh, and so that would be an option. That's the only grass seed that I would say you would put out now. And among our common southern turf grasses for a permanent grass, as opposed to just an, a, a winter overseeded grass, uh, you would probably be choosing from one of the semi-dwarf Bermuda grasses. Uh, there's not a seeded St. Augustine, or to my knowledge, I don't think there's a seeded zoysia. There may be, but uh, the best ones you would want to plant wouldn't be seeded anyway. <laughs> okay. All right. I appreciate it. All right, Laura. Thanks for the call. Appreciate that. Uh, again, the phone number, 979-845-5689, 845-5689. I was talking about October and a big, big month we're in right now and how it's when our winter weeds are germinating. It is when... Uh, we would put down the um, products to control large patch or brown patch. Uh, people still call it brown patch, but large patch is the proper name now. Uh, and even take all root rot uh, does some infecting in the milder, cooler 
moist days of fall. Uh, and so th that would be another one. If you've got a problem with that, it's been a problem, this would be a time, as well as next spring, even more so, uh, a time to do that treatment to prevent the problem. You know, with, with almost all disease situations, if you can prevent it, it's so much better than trying to cure it or fix it once it's there. You know, the, the large patch or brown patch circles. Uh, once they've rotted the leaves off the runner and you have this big round brown spot in the yard, it's not going to get green again until the weather warms up and the St. Augustine starts growing again because the runners are still alive. It's just the leaves that turn brown. And it begins to refill. And so it would be better to treat ahead of time if it's a perennial problem. If you've got it every year uh, and, you know, this is just typical, well, then treating ahead of time is the time to do that before you see all the circles, or at least at the first slight sign of anything like that, uh, getting that uh, fungicide down on it at that point in time. Uh, a lot of lawns just don't have a problem with it. You know, lawns that are not pushed too hard, uh, I've, for years, just not had a problem with it in my yards, and it's because I just don't overdo everything on the yard. Uh, I lived in uh, Conroe uh, for a while, and I had a neighbor that every year just had large brown patch circles, or large patch circles, and uh, they fertilized, 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 water, 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 and it, they just showed up. And my yard was two houses away, uh, and I just didn't have any. Actually, out in a little bar ditch where it stayed kind of wet, there would be a little bit of it out there uh, by the road, but that that is where I learned how important the uh, environmental conditions are to disease development. Uh, disease issues are very dependent on the environment and there are diseases that they love it to be between let's say 70 and 76 degrees for germination and they want you know 18 to 25 hours of leaf wetness for that spore to germinate in those temperatures and uh, I made those numbers up but that's that's the concept of it and and so when you create the environment like that and the disease is present you're gonna have problems and when we say, and it's present, a lot of diseases, you know, spores that are floating through the air, uh, they're kind of ubiquitous. And uh, if you've got a rose bush, uh, you don't have to bring in black spot to have black spot disease on your rose leaves. Uh, if anyone around nearby has some black spot and the spores are floating around, they're going to find your plant. They're going to land on it. And when conditions are right, now you've got it. So uh, with with diseases, it's all about uh, starting with cultural practices that help steer the plant away from disease issues rather than steering it toward disease issues. That is what we try uh, to do. Um, so uh, Brooks uh, had, had sent in a uh, question about a crepe myrtle putting out new leaves in October. I think we addressed, addressed that one before. Uh, it, it's just a matter of uh, that stress and stress-induced response. Uh, it's almost like the, the drought stress and the heat uh, was uh, created a, uh, a dormant season, if you will, where everything falls off the tree and it, it goes into some sort of a, a, a stress-induced dormancy, comes out of it and then it starts to bloom. So not a lot of control on that. Uh, let's see, our phone number is 979-845-5689 and our email is garden success at tamu dot edu garden success at tamu dot edu uh, shannon sends me a picture of a plant 
uh, and wants to know what is it, a sweet potato or a bean? Thought it was a bean. It is a sweet potato, uh, and it and sweet potatoes can bloom. Uh, sweet potatoes make a morning glory like bloom, which is exactly what you see on those pictures. You will never get sweet potatoes from these particular plants because we are too close to the cold weather when everything shuts down. You can eat sweet potato greens though. And if you wanted to mess around with that, go online, get a recipe, find something. But sweet potato greens are edible. And so I would say in the case of this plant, I would turn it in uh, to you know harvest the greens. And uh, if you want to give that a try and see how that does, because it, it's not going to make sweet potatoes of any anything to write home about uh, at this point in uh, time. Uh, so... 979-845-5689. That is the email. Gardensuccess at T-A-M-U dot E-D-U. Uh, that, that would be how you reach us by email. Uh, first, the phone. Uh, had a question come in about a 15 to 20-year-old yopon tree that just fell. I mean, it just like it snapped off just below the ground, and it just fell over. The whole thing just came crashing down. Uh, you know, looking at it, it's kind of hard to assess exactly what was going on there. Uh, I, have a, I have a hard time when photos are embedded into the text rather than attached to the email to be able to zoom in and see real well. Something cut the roots. I see it's by a privacy fence, so I don't know if someone on one side or the other uh, cut the roots there. Uh, it's also by a wire fence and a chain link, and I don't know if a... Um, Maybe some some of that grew into the plant as it got larger, uh, or if it just is one of those phenomena that just kind of happens. Uh, but this one did did just break off. Looks looks like it was growing well otherwise, uh, but there's nothing really uh, to do about it at this point. That's just unfortunate, uh, and it, it, it unfortunately that uh, can happen. Uh, you know, talking about the fall again, I want to get back in and talk about a couple of other things. I mentioned the cool season weeds that are coming up in the lawn. I mentioned the large patch and uh, take all root rot that occurs in our lawns at this time. This is an important time for fertilizing. And normally I would say fertilize a little earlier than this in the Bryan College Station area. But if you haven't fertilized yet, I suggest you get a fall type fertilizer. And that would be something that has a lower nitrogen level than the we've been using all year uh, and a real good third number that's potassium put that down at the recommended rate and help your lawn build the carbohydrate reserves it needs going into winter so that it comes out even stronger in the spring thanks for listening to garden success we will be back with you again next thursday from 12 to 1 You've been listening to Garden Success with Texas A&M AgriLife Extension Horticulturist Skip Richter. Join us again next week as Skip discusses your questions about gardening and landscaping in the Brazos Valley.